This discussion examining the use of corporate cloud technology in pharmaceutical manufacturing was taken from Connext America, the Pharma Software Summit by Kerber. Panel members include Chris Kapinski, Business Development Manager with Amazon Web Services, Sam Russell, Senior Director of Smart Manufacturing with Grantech, Aiden Stein, Head of IT Cloud Infrastructure and Cybersecurity with Lyle, and myself, Frank Laughlin, Head of Strategic Account Management with Kerber Business Area Pharma. Additionally, we'd like to introduce our new Pep Talks co-host, Laura Ferry. Hello there. Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I've worked in customer success for eight years, serving multiple industries, but this is my first dive into the world of biopharma manufacturing. Customer success sounds interesting. So what are you passionate about in your role? My passions really within customer success are in connecting and partnering with our customers to ensure their success. And I want to work with them to understand how they define that success. So I'm really excited to be a part of Pep Talks and I'm really looking forward to learning from our guests. Welcome aboard. And would you introduce the topic of our panel? Sure. What did technology in the cloud hold in store for the future of pharmaceutical manufacturing? What barriers does the life science industry face in adoption and implementation of this technology? Is it reliable and secure enough to meet compliance regulations within this industry? Our panelists address these concerns and more in this rousing discussion. Welcome everyone to Connects America Thoughts and Opinion Panel on Integrating Manufacturing Operations with the cloud in life sciences. It's all up in the air and our heads are in the clouds. But we're on cloud nine to be here today and talk to our three cloud experts on pharmaceutical manufacturing in the integration of these operations with the cloud. First off, I'd like to welcome Chris Kapinski. Chris leads life sciences manufacturing and supply chain business development for Amazon Web Services, otherwise known to everybody as AWS. Chris has partnered with the industry on innovative business transformation across companion diagnostics, cell therapy, biomanufacturing, supply chain collaboration, and patient experience. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Frank. Great to be here. I'd also like to welcome Sam Russell. Sam is Senior Director of Smart Manufacturing Solutions at Grantech and responsible for Grantech's strategy to develop solutions and deliver outcomes that leverage the latest technology to solve real manufacturing challenges. Sam is also the chairman for Mesa International's America's Board, leads the ISA's Digital Twin Committee, and was recently named one of Control Engineering Magazine's engineering leaders under 40. Welcome, Sam. Hey, Frank, thanks a lot for having me. Last but not least, we have Aiden Stein joining us. Aiden is head of IT, cloud infrastructure, and security at Lyle. Aiden has been with Lyle for three years and leads Lyle's cloud-first strategy. Aiden has a rich history of designing, developing, securing, and operating regulated workloads in the cloud for both large and small companies such as StationX, eMeter, Siemens, and Roche across several sectors, including smart grid, energy, healthcare, and life sciences. Welcome, Aiden. Frank, looking forward to the discussion. Glad to have everybody here. So now to set the stage, the notion of network-based computing dates back to the 1950s, when computers were huge and very expensive. Companies then actually organized timeshare systems where several users could work from many connected stations to access the mainframe. This was the foundation of a cloud concept. In the 90s, 
business software started moving to the web with cloud computing and enabled applications. We saw the rise of VPN networks in the 90s as well. Today, type in the term cloud computing on Google and you will get 362 million results. The cloud is here to stay. So I'd like to start this panel off with a simple question. If the cloud is so common and widely used in our day-to-day -day activities with iPhone and Netflix, then why are life science manufacturers in general slower to move to cloud-based applications? And what are some barriers they face when leaning into this change? Sam, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure, Frank. I'd be happy to. You know, life sciences manufacturers live in a bit of a different world than us iPhone users and, and Netflix watchers, right? So the core tenants of a lot of these life sciences manufacturers is to make sure they're producing a quality product for every dose every day. And, and that's a really good thing that we value, right? Because these are medications that go into our bodies and quality issues can really turn into life or death situations. So quality is really important. And that's why the industry is so highly regulated and why things like validation are so important. So if you start to add up a lot of these factors, the importance of quality and regulatory requirements and validation requirements, you end up with an industry that can be on more of the change resistance side. If things are working and if regulators are happy, then why would you go through the effort to change things? Especially if there's gonna be lingering concerns out there around things like security or latency or the availability of cloud applications, right? If, if Facebook goes down for a couple of hours, it's, it's not the end of the world. I might argue it's a good thing, right? But if the system that's monitoring your million dollar batch goes down and you don't have the data that you need to show that you were making that within spec, well, then we have a much bigger problem. Really, the main thing to remember is that life sciences manufacturers have very different priorities and are coming at this with different considerations that we do uh, when they're considering cloud applications. What about some of the concepts or misconceptions about security, latency, things along those lines? Any ideas about that? Yeah, I mean, um, clearly the, the cloud to be as prolific as it is today has, has conquered a lot of those issues, right? Things like security, things like availability. I mean, cloud technologies have been around for decades now and we've been continuously improving a lot of that. There are safe, secure, reliable ways that we have to be exchanging data with the cloud. Can I add a point to that? I think Sam has a great... Um, sure, yeah. I think the one thing you said there, which is really important, is that change is challenging and it, change does take time. So I believe, you know, many life sciences companies, and I've, I've worked with many of them, use compliance or security as reasons to kind of not adopt or look at the cloud. And, and we know our industry is risk averse for the reasons you say, but... I think we can learn a lot by looking at other regulated industries. I mean, for example, the financial services industry, which is a highly regulated industry, is one of the most uh, advanced or quite advanced users of the cloud. Cloud providers are, are used to this. They're not a stranger to these concerns that life sciences companies have, and they still continue to prioritize not only security, but also compliance and, and privacy by maintaining that high standard in this area. I think we're going to get into it a little bit more from the perspective of there are newer companies, and we're going to talk to Aiden in a second, that are jumping into the cloud. And there are bigger, older companies that are a little bit slower to adopt. So I think you're absolutely right, Chris, that we're seeing 
a lot of regulated industries, we don't even think twice about it anymore. We do our banking online. We do everything online. Everything's in the cloud. So from that perspective, I agree with you 100%. Aiden, Lyle has made the leap and it's performing the manufacturing operations in the cloud. Can you tell us about it? And before you do, what are some of the specific benefits that you've seen by hosting your IT systems in the cloud? Yeah, thanks, Frank. I mean, I I would say you know I would double down on the on the last conversation. Um, I think you know as we think about the cloud, um, we, you know we we think about the compliant environment, we think about the security of that environment, we think about uh, the quality of the products that we're producing out of that environment and the impact that can have on on patients. Um, and I think that that's a balance between um, those factors and then of course um, being able to innovate quickly. Uh, and so one of the things that, that, you know, is really important to us is time to value. Um, you know, we're a small emerging company um, and uh, getting our products, you know, uh, out into the marketplace um, as soon as possible with all of those things that we just talked about, safety and efficacy, quality, security, et cetera, um, is extremely important. I think another value for Lyle is, you know, just not having the the infrastructure to that that's required to to power up a, a I mean a huge data center, um, and that relates in in cost savings. Again, you know, faster time to value. We could put our energy into building our manufacturing facility as opposed to building our our uh, data center. And in the case where we're you know hosting workloads on AWS, um, I feel strongly that we have a more repeatable, more resilient, more secure, and really more compliant infrastructure. Um, which is ultimately easier and less expensive to, to operate and maintain. I think the last piece here, and I think this is the real value for Lyle, is, is the ability to take all of our data and, and centralize it so that we can share it with our multiple sites, with our collaborators, um, partners. We can rapidly turn this data into insights that ultimately drive our science. We can unlock this value quickly. We can apply you know, real-time analytics, dashboards, alerts, um, even a- AI and ML. And, you know, I think the, the last bit here is that the key to all of this is being able to easily and programmatically access all of your data from your software providers and bring that data into the cloud for downstream analytics. So it's really worked out well for Lyle. It was their value prop going into starting the company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's been key to our strategy from day one um, and three years in, we haven't looked back. Thanks. Chris, let's swing back to what you were talking about earlier. Let me ask you this. Looking at the evolution of cloud-based software and life sciences, how has the perception changed in the last few years? And where do you think we're headed in the next few years? I think that's a great question. I'd say the perception continues to evolve in a very positive way. I'm just to illustrate, let's just share one quick example. If you think two years ago, where were we all sitting? The COVID-19 pandemic hit the world. And Moderna, a clinical stage biotech company who had yet to commercialize a drug candidate, was able to design an mRNA vaccine in days, produce an investigational product for clinical trials in weeks, and was able to receive emergency use authorization in months. This is an incredible story. I mean, just on its own. But if you think about the other side of that equation, the same company now is on track to make and distribute over a billion doses in just one year. Many biotech companies dream of that. If someone told you two years ago that this was going to happen, you would have said that's impossible. 
And while there are many factors that contribute to the success of the industry's response to COVID-19, companies that start by basing their technology stack in the cloud, they give their team the access to the agility, scalability, and responsiveness that's needed for such a market change. And, And here's the key. That same cloud and machine learning technologies that made these gains possible, they're available today. And many therapeutic and vaccine manufacturers unrelated to the pandemic are starting to tap into that. So while we do see great success, I still see varying levels of maturity in cloud adoption. A good measuring stick our industry uses is our maturity models. You may be familiar with ISPE's Pharma 4.0, Biopharma's Operation Group's Plant Maturity Model. Life sciences companies are looking to the cloud to help them move up that curve from silos to tightly integrated supply chains. And the cloud offers that tremendous accelerator. So just to kind of summarize, I see new biotech companies, as well as those getting into space like cell and gene therapy, like Lyle, we're seeing cloud adoption as a no-brainer, where startups place their capital and resources in very extremely critical in early stages. They need to jump straight to this highly mature, going all in on the cloud to leverage the best they have. For big biopharma companies, historically, it's primarily been driven by their enterprise groups from areas such as finance and corporate data scientists, But we're starting to see a real acceleration over the past few years where the benefits of moving the cloud are being realized in the shop floor in areas such as like data analytics or operations visibility and starting to even see those mission critical workloads like MES and historian migrate and even transform with the cloud. It's funny, we'll talk about it in a little bit, I'm sure, but lowering the cost of firing up a new facility is one of the big key things. How can we get a new facility up running for less so we can make it faster. And the the numbers you just gave are amazing because normally, what do we normally talk? 12 years, you know, from R&D to commercialization, if you're lucky, you know, in most cases, so look what just happened. So Aiden, can you tell us, is it an either or? Can you be a hybrid, both in the cloud and on-prem? And what would that look like? And are there certain IT systems that should always be on-premise in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great question. Thanks, Frank. I, I don't think this is a binary decision by any stretch. I, I, I think, you know, you may want to build thin caching layers, for example, at the edge, which sit on premise. And this is a set of services that ensures that your data that you're generating from your equipment is always available. It's resilient to network latency and outages, which we've we've sort of t- discussed earlier. At Lyle, we've done just that. We've built a number of services, including storage and some compute right at the edge of the facility. And that facilitates real-time data capture from all of our instruments and our manufacturing equipment, which then we ship to the cloud for more downstream dashboarding, you know, alerting and, and analytics. So I don't think that there's a, a single answer here in regards to systems, whether it's cloud or not cloud. I think that's a, a choice that has to be evaluated. Risk analysis has to be performed. The decision for us was was fairly simple with very few exceptions. All of our services and systems run in the cloud for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. And it's really forced us to be thoughtful about how we we mitigate these risks, such as network outages. Um, and we, we a lot of that investment has been on IT core infrastructure, building and redundancy. But I, I, I do think that each of these decisions needs to be performed thoughtfully with you know a, a clear set of, of risk evaluation. And it's going to be different for, for each company. And we are good at risk evaluation, let's be honest. Sam, let's say you're building a greenfield facility. What are your recommendations for IT systems in the cloud and what needs to be considered? 
really we should be thinking about it as a hybrid system, right? We're going to have some things that are going to be in the cloud. We're going to have some things that are going to be on premise. It's a matter of, of what we're going to put into what categories, right? And I also like to always make a distinction between our IT and our OT systems. IT referring to those information technology systems that are more used to, to run the business from your ERP to your supply chain management to the, the laptop that, you're, that you may be watching this on, right? Whereas OT is going to be your operational technology, and that's more your plant floor technology. I make that distinction because a lot of IT systems already have the cloud or uh, have cloud options or are there already today. So if you're building a new greenfield facility, it's pretty reasonable to expect that a lot of your business systems are already going to be taking advantage of the cloud. So really, I think a lot of the question comes back to those OT systems that run the plants. And there are some pros and cons to having some of those manufacturing systems in the cloud. It really depends on what the system is doing. Availability and uptime are probably the most important considerations whenever you're looking at any type of OT system. These systems are controlling your manufacturing processes. They need to be on all the time. They need to be working in real time or very close to it. So Things that fit into those categories like control systems and SCADA systems, those are on-premise today and they're probably going to stay there for the foreseeable future. But there's other systems like your historians, um, which is one of the things I know has been mentioned, uh, reporting, advanced analytics. Those are definitely trending towards cloud adoption. So if you're building a green field today, I really think one of the most important things to consider is how you plan out your infrastructure to plan for the future as our tolerance for and um, availability of what can move to the cloud is going to change over time, right? For example, I do still see islands of automation getting installed in new plants, right? So these are pieces of equipment or, or work cells that are not going to be connected to anything, and there's really no plan for them to be connected or communicating. And, and that really doesn't make sense, especially if you're thinking about that cloud strategy. So much of Industry 4.0 is about machines that connect to each other and communicate with each other and communicate with external systems like those that are hosted in the cloud. Um, I really do think that if you're planning on leveraging some of that newer technology, you really need to make sure that you're having the network support and kind of all that infrastructure that you need to adapt to a changing environment. I'd like to piggyback on what Sam said around the hybrid, not to overcomplicate the topic, but we do see that the definition between cloud and edge and on-premise is, is, is in a lot of ways kind of blurring. And, and I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because I think what's being realized is that the same benefits that our organizations, our manufacturers, our research and developers are getting out of the cloud, they want to see on-premise as well. So you're moving into this kind of environment where you're actually seeing a network of compute and a network of net, uh, interaction between these systems. And so what we do actually see is a trend towards not necessarily having uh, either or, but moving more of the cloud into a hybrid version so that you could bring the same capabilities and the benefits closer to the where the compute's needed so that you can you can realize those benefits as well as ensure that you're you're meeting those requirements. So it certainly is evolving and maybe even getting a little bit more gray, but I think in general that's progress for the industry. Chris, some life science manufacturers are opting to use the private cloud instead of a vendor cloud. Can you talk about the differences and what is your recommendation when choosing between the two? I'd say 
Many organizations view a private cloud as an ideal IT solution, but I do want to say typically a private cloud is kind of sometimes a misnomer. Look at it this way. Unless a private cloud can operate at a truly massive scale, it's kind of similar to a traditional data center, just a larger version of it. We see this being done for various reasons. You know, if you think about governance and control, uh, there's there's good reasons. But when I have these discussions with my manufacturers, I often find them looking to the cloud to drive improvements in agility, cost, scalability, while being able to enable that innovation at scale. So to do this, they do need to leverage the best of cloud to incorporate new use cases that weren't previous possible, like end-to-end supply chain visibility or digital twins or even digital threat, as you mentioned. So the paradigm shift that is happening is the movement from physical machines to virtual machines, which you find in most plants today, to containerized solutions and eventually serverless capabilities. And there's a lot there, but the point being is, it gives manufacturers the most flexibility to unlock that potential. So this shift is creating new opportunities for our manufacturers to look at each of their applications and their portfolio and focus on what truly differentiates their business. So we typically see three patterns. One is we reduce the size of the on-site data center by either entering or either retiring applications or moving to a SaaS offering. Uh, subscription as a service, and many of which are offered as a vendor-managed offering or a vendor cloud. A second pattern is migrating those applications to the cloud in a pattern that is known as lift and shift. This helps our manufacturers start to realize benefits from the modernization of their journey while capitalize initially on those investments. It helps satisfy the finance people in the room. And third, modernizing their stack through mechanisms such as refactoring, replatforming and moving towards a modular uh, based design. So definitely there's a lot of a lot there. There are some nuances and differences, but in, in general, it's moving towards that more agile, cost-effective and scalable model. Sam, do you think if a manufacturing facility is not moving to the cloud, will they be left behind? Uh, I actually do. I mean, I, this is one where I actually think I can pretty confidently say if you don't have um, some type of strategy for how to get some of your workloads into the cloud and how you can be leveraging it, uh, I think you might be a little bit behind already. There are just some well-proven use cases in the space. Um, everything from advanced analytics to try to predict batch quality to preventative maintenance systems that are going to warn you about if there's going to be a potential equipment failure before it happens. And a lot of these are reliant on that compute power that you get from the cloud. Cloud, right? It's not, it's just not economical to have every manufacturing plant have that data center that has the compute power to do artificial intelligence and machine learning, much less having the IT personnel to support it and things like that. I think there's a pretty wide consensus out there that things like artificial intelligence and ML are the future and are going to have a few huge impact in manufacturing. And if you believe in that, then you kind of have to believe in some type of cloud connectivity to realize that value. You know, it's such a great point because from an MES perspective, you can spin up a training environment in a day. You know what I mean? So if somebody needs X, Y, or Z, we can, from SaaS, you can spin it up in a day, use it as required, and then take it down. Aiden, it seems we're starting to see what's possible in life science manufacturing. With the speed of vaccines being produced and approved, it truly is amazing. I'm sure the availability of data in the cloud will continue to speed things along. 
I'm curious, what are the types of jobs companies will need to fill in the cloud and continue these innovations? How can you be best prepared to manage this change in a new era? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, this is really getting at, you know, a, a key piece of the, the cloud journey. Um, it's not just a shift in your technical teams. I feel like, you know, that is a key, key piece of this, but I think everything from your quality to your legal teams, um, you know, needs to, to be on this journey and, and, and take this shift. I think it works best through, through partnerships and bringing folks along in the journey. For us, from a technical implementation perspective, you know, everyone needs to be cloud aware at the very, very least. So, you know, your traditional network engineers and security engineers, they're going to have to interface with SaaS products and, you know, infrastructure as a service providers. And that can be uh, a new for, for many of them. For us, you know, a DevSecOps team has been crucial for our success. Uh, and a big part of that beyond, you know, their sort of core skill sets, which you know, in my mind is, you know, the, the, the cloud architecture piece and the automation piece, uh, the security skill sets is really the ability to evangelize the benefits of the cloud uh, and, and what it offers, uh, you know, in, in, a comp- in a rapidly changing compliant environment that's really on the bleeding edge of science, right? The ability to explain the how and why uh, to all of the stakeholders is, is absolutely crucial. Chris, Sam, you want to add anything? Sure. Aiden brings up a great point. And I I think even in many of the customers and manufacturers that I talk to, you know, there's a spectrum of how people are viewing it. Do I need to go hire a hundred data scientists tomorrow, or do I need to hire a, a thousand cloud practitioners to make this possible? I'd say not necessarily right away, but we do see a evolution of the type of roles that are Um, industry is starting to create. Like just take, for example, a process engineer. Historically, a process engineer, which rightfully so has a a deep science background, has has plenty of experience working on the shop floor. Some of the more innovative or or forward-thinking companies with the cloud, I actually see them incorporating also in those job descriptions, data science capabilities, machine learning capabilities, ability to to work with within environments uh, that are beyond what that you would think typical. And I think it's truly important that we think about even every job description that we have and think about how do we make this a little bit more flexible or capable of leveraging some of this because I think the the future the future of the industry and the future employees that we'll have and, and peers that we'll have are actually coming from a more modern environment. We mentioned, you know, we mentioned Apple, we mentioned some of these companies, they're used to working digitally native. So it's important that our, our roles actually also become digitally native, native as well. Well, and, and I might add to that, that I think it's also really important not just to think about some people that are coming from high tech and coming into manufacturing, but thinking about all the people from manufacturing that are learning to adopt high tech, right? Especially if you're looking at the, the graduating classes of universities these days, right? A lot of them are data scientists with ambitions for working for a huge big tech company, less uh, people that are looking at PID loops and how a pump functions and how to put together a process line and things like that. But these two people, these two groups need to be able to talk to each other. One of the challenges that comes up a lot of times that I see is the feeling that the the people on the data side and the people from the technology side just don't get what manufacturing operations is like, don't understand that value of uptime and that any downtime hurts your productivity. It means that you weren't sending money out the door. Uh, I do think that that's high tech data science type of perspective is going to be important, but also the, the people on the shop floor that really understand manufacturing operations and can help 
bridge the gap between those ideas and their practical application is really important. Chris, last question. Anything you would like to share from AWS's perspective with regards to the future of cloud-based systems in the pharmaceutical and biotech space? In my experience, when I work with pharma manufacturers, they tend to focus in three key areas. One is how to scale manufacturing quickly, how do we reduce uncertainty, increase, increase predictability of supply, and how do we lower risk of shortages? And I think these will continue to be consistent in our industry as we go forward. But there's three primary advances that I see driving the future of pharma manufacturing. One such advance is machine learning. Using machine learning to identify key parameters that predict manufacturability or risks such as deviations or even across tech ops and manufacturing. Machine learning part is critical. Uh, sometimes a less glamorous part, but equally important, is making it possible for our ability to get data about the molecule or similar molecules out of many of these silos, spread that across research, clinical, and manufacturing divisions to create insights and help drive faster time to market. A second advance I see is the ability to immediately, and in some cases, automatically transfer learnings about manufacturing challenges to the right persona. The last one I see is something I call visibility. If you think about the incredible life-saving medicines that our, our industry produces, manufacturing and supply chain visibility is more important, but also more challenging than ever as supply networks get more complex. So patients, providers, clinical staff, many people within manufacturing lab all need real-time information and prediction about where their product is, what's the status of both their the, the product or the therapy being manufactured. The same, if you think about it, I'm an Amazon uh, consumer or customer as well. If you think about the same technologies that innate Amazon to show you when a package can be delivered to your home can also be used to show all the stakeholders when the drug product is likely to arrive and to then make real-time changes to that, that, that will be truly incredible. More and more companies are increasingly are increasing their own capabilities and technology to leverage what is happening with this incredible pace of innovation. And these really capable technology teams are moving towards modular architectures with building blocks and purpose-built tools. So I look, you know, customers I talk to today, they don't want to settle for tools that, that do a lot of things okay, but none of them really well. They really wanna have choice and be able to buy or build a tool or service that works best for their specific need in this rapidly changing environment. Thanks very much. Well, that's all the time we have for our panel today. I'd really like to thank our panelists, Sam Russell, Chris Kapinski, and Aiden Stein for helping us dive into this topic. It seems we're in the middle of this great change in our industry and what an exciting time it is.